Welcome back to Freight Waves Autonomous and Electric Vehicle Summit. Uh, I'm Jack Dalio, and I'm joined here by Tim Reeser, who's the co-founder and CEO of Lightning E-Motors, and we're going to talk everything electric vehicles. Uh, thanks for joining me, Tim. Glad to be here, Jack. Uh, so, Tim, first, can you tell us a little bit about the mission and the vision that you have at Lightning? So we uh, began the company in 2008 uh, under the premises of uh, solving uh, efficiency and, and uh, clean energy problems for uh, fleets. So today we've maintained that mission. We're totally focused on commercial vehicle fleets. Uh, those can range from last mile, the obvious choices that we've uh, been working in, but also transit bus fleets uh, and school bus fleets, among others. All right. And, um, you know, electric vehicles, they're, they're pretty heavily talked about these days. Uh, some people are very fond of them. Some are less fond. Uh, what would you say are some common misconceptions that people have about electric vehicles today? I think the one we hear the most about is range, and that is range keeps a, a commercial vehicle operator from running. Uh, you'll hear a lot of, of commercial vehicle operators and even passenger vehicle operators talk about needing a 400-mile range or a 500-mile range. And certainly with passenger vehicles, as we know, uh, less than 90% of all trips need more than 40 miles, but you do occasionally need that 400-mile range if you want to uh, take a long-term trip or go to grandma's on the weekend. But in commercial vehicles, that's just not the case. Um, most last mile vehicles are less than 40 miles a day on a trip. Um, certainly some last mile vehicles or transit vehicles will run two or three shifts and do more. But even then, they can they can recharge along the route, especially if you've got two or three shifts going. So it's not unusual to think of you know a mid-shift uh, DC fast charge along the way. So what that means is we really don't have a range problem with electric vehicles in the commercial vehicle space. These vehicles generally don't need to take a weekend excursion. They don't need to be uh, taking long road trips. So they really can be relegated to their routes, which are typically 40 to 200 miles a day and great fits for an electric vehicle. Right. It's a lot of that last mile, maybe some of that middle mile space there. That's that's what you're occupying. And um, with all the emphasis around electrifications from companies and consumers and even the government, uh, how has business been recently, I'm wondering? Uh, I know that you had a pretty big piece of news come out uh, just before you joined me here. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about uh, some of the ongoing partnerships and, and news that's come out about the company? Yes. So I think uh, one of the exciting parts, Jack, to your point today, we announced a partnership with Bolt. Uh, Bolt provides last mile delivery trucks for people like Ikea uh, throughout the United States and Canada. So we're very excited to announce this partnership with them. Um, the I think 170 vehicles is what we said in the partnership uh, and growing from there. So another example of a great last mile uh, win for us in the space but you'll also hear us talk about wins in the school bus space, wins in the transit bus space, um, and we work in, in all three areas extensively. Um, from a news standpoint, from a business standpoint, one of the there's three key drivers. One of them has been the product continues to improve and our critical mass of getting those vehicles on the road and thus being able to support them and service them and and uh, keep the customers happy with them has grown and, and reached a point where we are having good success. Hundreds of vehicles now in New York, hundreds of vehicles in uh, California, so and, and growing throughout the rest of the United States. We're excited about that. The second big piece of news really is around uh, what I'll call product maturity. So we've announced a lot of different products. So 
products that serve a broader range of customers and support many of the complex uh, customizations that these customers need. So things like refrigeration units on uh, delivery trucks, uh, things like a, a multitude of different kinds of, of uh, solutions, lift gates and solutions around that, bus door solutions around certain vans that we provide, and then also a lot more range options around the vehicles we provide. So we have a modular battery solution, and we now, for example, on our Class 3 product, uh, CARB just approved that product, uh, dyno tested for over 200 miles range. So uh, coming out with more products is a big part of news and a big part of why we're seeing the pickup from customers. Um, the third thing that's happened is really around the financial side, but this is twofold. One of them is our vehicles have gotten less expensive over time, and that's meant that it, at its uh, core, the return on investment uh, is compelling and the, and the TCO argument is very, very strong. But obviously, in concert with that, we've seen in the last, just in the last nine months, uh, $5 billion in new federal money coming out for school buses another $5 billion for transit agencies, um, and of course, the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA Act, coming out with a $40,000 tax credit uh, for 14,000 pound and larger vehicles, which will really help the last mile industry that we serve with the class four, five, and six trucks. So that when you look at all that together and say, hey, we had a compelling TCO even before that money, and now there's a tremendous amount of new money that's all stackable coming in for these customers, it's really creating quite a, a surge of uh, new customers, new interest, um, certainly new purchase orders that we expect to land. Um, those all take a little bit because, as you can imagine, even when customers have plenty of money, uh, they still want to validate that the products do what they need them to do, that they're reliable, that they're serviceable. So it's still not an instantaneous lift, but obviously the, the surge we track in terms of the sales cycle and sales pipeline is very strong. Uh, so we're, we're obviously very, very optimistic and very bullish about the industry. Absolutely. And uh, it really seems like the barriers to entry are, are starting to come down. You've got uh, initiatives coming from the government, uh, from the White House specifically. Uh, Joe Biden um, is trying to get 50% of all vehicle sales by 2030 to be EVs. Uh, so there's a lot of institutional support for this. Uh, now, Tim, you mentioned uh, that you do make more than just the vans. Uh, I want to get into some of those other products later. But focusing on the vans first, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the design and the specifications that they go into those. Certainly. So Lightning has chosen to only work on class three and larger, or in the US, that's 10,000 pounds or larger, or uh, the rest of the world might call that a five-ton van. So depending on your nomenclature, uh, we stay in the larger van. So one way to see it in the U.S. is you'll notice all of our vans have dual rear wheels on the back, so four wheels instead of just two. So it's an easy way to, to notice the difference and differentiate our vehicles from a Class 2 vehicle that, that are quite common out there. Uh, so we only focus on these larger vans and trucks. And uh, so these larger vans and trucks have a lot of payload. Uh, like I said, we can run battery ranges uh, all the way up to 200 miles in increments. Uh, it, it is non-intuitive to many people, but we have some customers who only want a 50-mile van because they drive very few miles. For example, somebody in Manhattan who does deliveries, last-mile deliveries up and down a, a high-rise doesn't need a lot of range. Uh, some of those customers are very happy with a 50-mile range vehicle. Um, but obviously, many customers want a 200-mile range vehicle and some mix of that. So in the van space, we offer uh, a 50-mile, a 120-mile range, or I think technically the bottom end is a 60-mile range all the way up to a 200-mile range vehicle. So 
a pretty large uh, variety of range options with batteries. Uh, today, most of those batteries are uh, NMC uh, batteries, although we are in the process of also offering uh, lithium iron phosphate uh, chemistry options for those vehicles. Um, and then the, the unique part about those vehicles is the, the optionality around the fit. We've got some people who will put a bus door in that, which is historically very difficult to do for major OEMs because it gets in the way of where the batteries and the harnesses are. But we support uh, bus doors, for example. We support refrigeration units. We support ramps uh, in the back, and we support uh, certainly lifts of both uh, cargo lift and wheelchair lift varieties, um, along with a, a myriad of other options, everything from cameras to collision protection to our uh, prone robotics automation solution. So a lot, of, a lot of opportunities and customization on top of these vans that we support, and that's really part of our uh, success and claim to fame in the commercial vehicle space is our ability to support a, a wide range. In fact, we we have major orders even on for ambulances on these same vans. Um, and those are unique because, as you can imagine, an ambulance has lots of complexity in terms of electrification. It has uh, really benefits from being able to support high voltage electronic equipment and medical equipment but also needs to be able to support configurations like a gurney lift that goes in the back where historically you might have had a, a battery in some OEM configuration. So this our ability to support this wide variety of customizations is something we do well and something we specialize in in, in uh, these spaces, specifically the van space. Yeah, and I remember a time when we thought customizing your shoes at Nike was groundbreaking stuff, but now you're, you're really allowing these people, these customers to customize their own EV. Uh, and, and really, you're doing a lot more than, than just producing the van itself. Um, there's a lot of other technology that goes into this whole operation and this ecosystem. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, I think the other one is exactly, you alluded to it, Jack, which is uh, one of the cores as a customer buys, and again, I like to use specific examples to give people a word picture, and that is something like an ambulance. Uh, ambulances have their own requirements for how they need energy, when they're going to have energy, uh, how they use energy. Um, so it, you see an ambulance parked on the side of the road waiting for a call. Uh, it needs to be cooled and heated already. It needs to be at the right temperature. So if it makes a quick call and picks somebody up, it's at the right temperature. Um, it needs many times the electronic equipment has to stay running, uh, et cetera. And so as we, we think about how do we do that, we've got to make sure we've got enough battery capacity to do that. But we've also got to make sure we have uh, charging at the right places at the right time. So Lightning provides both uh, things like interim charging solutions, like a, our mobile battery charging solution. We also provide charging to customers that are partnered with uh, public charging and public charging solutions, as well as partially public or uh, what our partner BP calls on-the-go charging, as well as behind-the-fence charging, meaning charging at their depot. Um, we support, we manage that. But I think the other thing people also want to understand and that is unique to us is our ability to manage. Because we manage those chargers, install, support them, we also own the, the software on them. So one of our unique aspects is we've got very deep telematics and analytics on the vehicle that reports every second how the vehicle's doing. But we also have those same tied in uh, software solutions on the on the charger side, which means, for example, we can predictively know when that vehicle needs to charge, how much it needs to charge, when the best time to charge it, because some people have demand charge uh, constraints or very expensive times to charge the vehicle we want to avoid. 
So because we own the software on both the charger and we own the software on the vehicle, our ability to uh, very predictively manage that vehicle in a, in a very smart way is unique to us and something we're excited to offer. Yeah, so I'm hearing that there's a lot of different cogs that go into this machine. Uh, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what do you see as sort of the biggest challenge to EV adoption in the U.S.? Uh, would you say it's like the cost of the technology that goes into the vehicle itself, uh, the scale of the charging network, or is it something else? Yeah, I think initially it is cost, but I think some of that cost is is because uh, historically in, in any kind of early adopter technology, uh, one of the, the things that tends to come later is how you package it and, and create the optics around the cost. And I like to use the example of a cell phone. Uh, I've had many people ask me, hey, you, you, you know, because I carry a special cell phone, what does that cost? And if I tell somebody that foldable phone costs $2,000, they look at me like that's really expensive. If I tell somebody that that phone is $68 a month, they look at me like that's really cheap. And so one of the things as you look at more mature industries they've done is figured out how to package the product in a way that is optically acceptable to the customers. And I think we've been in the early stage of EVs where not only have we made it optically look very expensive, but we've also made it optically difficult to buy, meaning a customer has to look at it and say, okay, I've got to buy a, an EV and make sure it works for me and can be serviced and, and maintained and has good warranty and is from a, a reputable firm. But then I also have to buy charging. Then I also have to figure out how to get that charging installed and work with utility companies and contractors. Then I've got to figure out how to get, get that uh, charger serviced and maintained. And then I've got to figure out all of the, does this a plug into my current telematics or do I've got to get a different telematics? And so on the list goes of complexity that we've created. And so part of our goal is, and, and we've got to change that. And I think that's been an obstacle in the past, and it's a solution that we're providing going forward, which is you'll start to see from our standpoint, for example, instead of a, a capital cost of, uh, to buy that vehicle that looks optically expensive, instead it's going to be a monthly fee or a buy-the-mile fee or by the week fee, you see a different way to think about it, just like you do on your cell phone today, that includes charging. It includes charging installation, charging maintenance, charging service, telematics, analytics. It's the entire package making it easier for the customer to buy. So I think that's one historic challenge that has been an obstacle that we're now uh, very clearly have a, have a clear path to solve and make easier for the customer. Um, and I think because we hadn't solved that, it led customers to believe the products were expensive. And I think that was a key barrier to entry was the, the upfront price. Um, but again, as you really look at it, when you look to the fact that, hey, you have 80% lower operating costs, especially with the way fuel prices have gone up for diesel and gasoline, um, it, it, it actually wasn't expensive, but it looked expensive. So uh, we've got to fix that. I think we are fixing that moving forward. The other obstacle has been, as you alluded, Jack, to this charging. Um, and not only because customers didn't understand it, but also because it can be a lengthy time to get it permitted and installed. And so we've begun, again, to mitigate that through things like our mobile battery charger that can act as an, an interim DC fast charger while the customer's waiting to have their chargers installed and permitted. Um, and we've also really worked to come out with uh, more uh, charger partnerships so that we have more availability around chargers. And we're working with some of the installation partners to speed up the time it takes to install, working with utility companies to speed up the time it takes to get permits. And this is where, thankfully, it's not just us. The whole industry is really working to solve these problems. So 
the the ecosystem effect of, like you said, everybody from the White House on down really working hard to solve these problems, whether it's, you know, throw money at it or whether it's throw resources at it or whether it's really create some of the PR that needs to be done. We see those problems going away around charging and, and you can see it and feel it. And certainly even just having more public charging helps the situation and helps the perception and certainly helps on the road with these with with customers knowing there's somewhere to charge even if uh, you know they don't have depot charging so uh, charging have been a major obstacle, but for all those reasons, it's certainly quickly going away as, as a major issue. And, and in fact, becoming now, instead of a, a liability, it's becoming an asset. There's a lot of places you can get that electricity. So we're working with one of our key investors, BP, on how do we put microgrids for some of these customers. So instead of waiting for a utility company to install the, the electricity that the chargers need and install the transformers and the upstream electricity, why don't we put it in our own microgrid service uh, so that the customer doesn't have to wait for a utility company. And in fact, then the customer can choose where they get their energy from. Does it come from their solar panels? Does it come from a a natural gas fuel source? Does it come from the grid? Um, All that kind of optionality now means your energy is becoming an asset, not a liability. And and I'm excited about that. I think as customers begin to really uh, absorb that, uh, it'll be a key selling point going forward. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. Right. Yeah. So this industry uh, it really experienced some growing pains early on, but uh, as it's starting to become more accessible, that that hopefully will drive up adoption. And uh, as you mentioned, lots of companies and stakeholders uh, are looking to innovate in this space. Uh, Lightning obviously is one of the leaders in that space. Uh, but I'm wondering, what's the most fascinating piece of EV tech that you've seen outside of what you're building at Lightning? So one of the things I I like, if you look at fascinating, uh, a lot of work around safety and autonomy. Um, So, and and again, this is one of the things I like uh, to really point out where commercial vehicles are different. Most people, when they think of autonomy today, immediately go to the autonomous taxi, the the driverless taxi service. Um, But when, when you come back to commercial vehicles, there's a lot of lower hanging, more readily accessible opportunities for autonomy today. Because you think, for example, campus shuttles Many of those shuttles run the same loop over and over and over again. So from an autonomy solution, it's, it's a solvable problem today, as opposed to many of the, the autonomous taxi solutions still have challenges uh, and corner cases that are difficult. From a campus shuttle, you can, be very, you can very effectively put autonomy in place and monetize autonomy today for campus shuttles, for uh, things like logistics terminals, where, again, you're driving the same thing or doing the same thing. And, and some of the autonomy technology, we're looking at things like an automatic parking solution for big school bus fleets. So all the schools come in at the end of the night, it's or at the end of the day, it's very, uh, can be quite haphazard and chaotic to get all those reparked. Uh, having an autonomy solution that automatically reparks those school buses, that kind of solution is available today. And it's really fascinating and exciting to watch. So we're very uh, carefully watching. And, and obviously today we've announced, you know, a solution with Perone Robotics where you can get an autonomy solution for campus shuttles off of, on our products already today. So that's that's one of my favorite things to watch and one of the up-and-coming things in the commercial vehicle space that we don't have to wait 10 years for. It's, it's something that is beginning to change the industry today. 
Yeah, so we, we focused a lot on, on the electric vehicles, but this is also an aut- autonomous and electric vehicle summit. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, and is, uh, is Lightning looking at bringing that kind of autonomy into what you're doing? Yes. So today you can get a prone autonomy solution on our vans today. And we're working to make that available on many of our other products. We're also uh, working and talking to people uh, like Gaddick, uh, who's working on a solution today. They've announced publicly for Walmart that is a middle mile uh, solution for autonomy. Uh, also working with folks like Steer, who have, as I was mentioning earlier, things like this, this school bus autonomy solution for parking uh, and logistics terminal parking solution. So a lot of different stuff there that we are working on today, but some of it is already available today on our product. So and, and it is one of the, it, you know, when you go sit in that vehicle and watch it drive itself around, yes, I've, it, you know, I've had a Tesla for a long time and I'm used to something doing a bit of that down the highway, but this is a whole different level to watch a vehicle by itself, uh, you know, do a, a, a campus tour and, and go around a route. So very exciting to watch. And like I said, it goes beyond just autonomy around, okay, I don't need a driver. It also significantly improves safety. And you think about, you know, most of these commercial vehicles haven't had front collision avoidance and many of these other technologies, they're way late to get it. But now with autonomy, that's a subset. You can't do autonomy without having collision avoidance. So um, we're able to leverage what's happening in autonomy to accelerate many of the safety features on these commercial vehicles that they just have been late or, or have never had. So uh, that's the, the other side that's exciting today. Yeah. And I think that when you bring up autonomy, a lot of the time people will think Tesla. Uh, but there's there's so much more going on in the space. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Gaddick. They're they're doing some really interesting things, automating that middle mile. Uh, but Tim, uh, the last question I wanted to leave you with is, uh, you know, when can the transportation industry expect EVs to become as popular as gas powered vehicles in the last mile? So I think uh, I, I want to expand the conversation beyond last mile, Jack. I know you know both you and I love last mile, so I don't want to make it sound there. But I think even when you think about last mile, certain parts of it, the answer is very different. So as we think about very traditional last mile, um, really there's nothing holding it back anymore. You've seen major commitments from all the ma- all, all the big players: Amazon, FedEx, UPS, DHL. Um, you know, we've had a, a very strong customer in DHL with nearly a hundred of our vans running last mile in Manhattan. Um, but across each of these customers, you see it from my perspective already happening. And it's happening because the products work well. They do have charging already in place. They've been working on charging. And in a lot of cases in last mile, charging is much easier than in other scenarios, even than passenger vehicles. Uh, Our last mile vehicles with DHL in Manhattan charge just level two off the Manhattan Depot, and they don't have to charge during the day. They don't need public charging. They already had level two chargers in in their depot when we sold them those vehicles. So there was no holdup to get it done. So in many cases, charging isn't a challenge. They're ready to go forward now. So, um, and they like the product and you add to that now, now there's a lot more uh, subsidy money available, makes it even easier. But beyond subsidy money, we're seeing that all the major players in last mile commit to electrification, even without subsidy money, because from a return on investment, a total cost of ownership, it makes sense. So uh, I believe you'll see a very much stronger uptake in uh, electric last mile vehicles than you do even in passenger vehicles over the next five years. And I think, you, you know, we see most of the industry thinking by 2027 that 40% of all commercial vehicles will be electric. I think in last mile, it'll be closer to 60 or 70%. So 
that kind of says, hey, you know, four years from now, I think we're we're getting in that scenario. But I think even next year, you'll see a very strong growth. It's not just going to be four years from now. You'll start to see a very strong growth because the foundation is set. The charging's going in. The 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 availability of the infrastructure, and as we've talked about, you know, TCO, ROI, ease of buying, all those things have gotten better. And service and support. All those things had to come up to support it. But even on our side, we have a very significant team now of service and support people in the field. We've got partners also that have teed up and are ready to support these vehicles. So the infrastructure and ecosystem is in place and and you'll see tremendous growth. But we also see there's other areas that I like to talk about. And I know, you know, we're focused on last mile, but I think it's interesting to think about what other areas. And so school buses, you know, kind of a last mile at times, but uh, transporting, uh, as we like to say, our most precious cargo, um, that those school buses also very, very strong business proposition, commercial proposition for why to electrify it, the vehicle to grid opportunity there, because school buses tend to sit during high peak electric use hours. So the ability to take electricity off those school buses when and not have to buy peak or power plants for these utility companies um, is very compelling and an interesting uh, subtlety to what we see happening in school buses. So I believe school buses like last mile will grow at a very, very fast pace over the next four years and be more ubiquitous. Well, it'll be the the anomaly to see a non-electric school bus in 2027 rather than the anomaly to see an electric school bus. So a few of those other things, obviously, transit buses are growing at a very fast pace as well. Yeah, it's a, that's a pretty mind-blowing thought. And uh, it sounds like the future is really coming at us fast. Uh, yes. Tim, I'd like to take a, another second to thank you for coming on and uh, enjoy the rest of the Autonomous and Electric Vehicle Summit. Uh, I've been Jack Dalio. This is Tim Reeser, uh, again, the co-founder and CEO of Lightning E-Motors. And thank you for watching. Thank you, Jack.